Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Stark and Cope Chicago Sports Show. I am Dan Stark here with my co-host and nephew, uh, Noah Cope. Today, we are going to talk about the Chicago Bulls. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I don't even know, goddamn, how long ago was that now? Uh, the lottery happened. Uh, which really kind of closed the book on the Vooch trade. And we figured it's a good time to kind of talk about the state of the franchise. Uh, but before we do that, I'm introducing a segment, Noah. I call this segment Unfinished Business. Uh, this is my chance to correct for the record because I am a stickler for details. Uh, for the anyone that knows me knows that to be true. Uh, things that we might have gotten wrong, specifically things I got wrong. I don't really care if Noah gets things wrong uh, that it bothered me. Uh, so that's that's yeah, the, it's because uh, I don't get things wrong. So it's clean up your shit. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so the first, uh, so that there's a two part. I'm going to cover the first one, which is like kind of things that I just wanted to cor correct uh, from the last uh, our last episode um i had all my dates were wrong so we were talking about when the white Sox. i was saying that the white Sox got a good deal because no one talked about their them being a horrible loser franchise because the red Sox complained louder and then you had the cubs in the same town and i think i said all right i originally said you said it was like what did you say it was 88 years right yeah, they've yeah. been 88 years. And I said, okay, 1917. And then I said, no, wait, it was 1918 because 1919 was the Black Sox. So 1919 was the Black Sox. For some reason, I remembered that they had won the title the year before. They hadn't. They had won it in 1917. And then I said the Red Sox were even were more recent than that, which was true. But I said 1921, when in fact they had won in 1918. So I'm sure that everyone was freaking out over this horrible inaccuracy. <laughs> but it bothered me when I, that I had gotten it wrong. Uh, but I was right that the, the Red Sox had not even been as long as the White Sox. But no one even, I feel like no one even knew. And maybe Noah, you were, you're a little too young to even remember any of this, but no one talked. Everyone was, talked I was right the, about 88 years though, right? You were right about 88 years. Yeah. Everyone talked about the Cubs being in the Red Sox. No one talked about the, the White Sox. A horrible drought. I guess it's because they just don't have the same kind of whiny fan base uh, that Boston and the Cubs uh, both have. Speaking of uh, Boston's whiny fan base, I could not have been more thrilled at the Celtics failing to pull off the uh, three nothing comeback. Yeah, I think the consensus there is that we could not let them that city pull off another. I mean, they got the the Brady twenty eight three. They obviously have the 0-4 Red Sox. Giving them a third one just was not going to fly. Um, yes. So I think the consensus for everyone outside of, I said the NBA, you said the NBA doesn't really count, um, but everyone outside of the, that city and the NBA was probably happy to see uh, Miami prevail there. Yeah. Yeah, hard to see anyone outside of New England rooting uh, for the Celtics in pretty much any situation. I, I'm to the point now where I would actually root for the Lakers uh, over the Celtics. That's how much I dislike uh, the Celtics. Um, now, the other thing that I, the other part of unfinished business was I, Snow and I had a little debate about the uh, John Lester, the Kyle Hendricks quick hook uh, in favor of John Lester in 
game seven of the 2016 world series. Uh, and I, I want to take another shot at this because I cannot believe that Noah doesn't think that this was terrible and that he didn't dislike it at the time. So I fixated on the catcher part of it, which I remember being, I was obviously irate about because one Lester comes in with Ross Ross immediately throws the ball away on an infield single on an infield single. Uh, And then a wild pitch hits him in the head and he's like all woozy because he's a 40 year old man trying to come in the middle of an inning to be a major league catcher in game seven of the world goddamn world series. Now I was very fixated on the catcher part, but just the idea of bringing in John Lester, first of all, the quick hook when, uh, Hendricks clearly had, I think he might have struck him out twice. I went back and watched the clip. The one-two pitch was, it was also, an Napoli at that, right? It was a Santana. It, no, Santana. Yeah, 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 Santana. The one-two pitch also might have been a strike. They didn't really make a big deal out of that. The two-two pitch was definitely a strike. And really, uh, Willie's garbage framing really hurt them in that case. He did not catch that ball well and probably cost them. Uh, that or probably cost Hendricks that strike. Um, and then he gets yanked in favor of John Lester with a guy on first base. When the one thing you know about John Lester is he cannot throw to first base. So that's, that's the other part of this is you have a guy who does not come in middle of innings. He's if you're going to bring him in, bring him in on a clean inning. If you're going to give the guy a quick hook, bring in somebody else to get that, bring one of your lefties out of the pen to get, if you're insisting on yanking Hendricks, which again, I don't agree with because he was looking pretty damn good. Uh, if you insist on yanking him, bring in one of your, whoever else was in the pen. I don't know, uh, Carl Edwards at that point. I don't know if he was getting anybody out, but whoever else you have, or you just let Hendricks stay in the game. You do not bring in a guy who is not used to coming in with guys on base, who is known, the one thing he's known for is that he can't throw over to first base. And then, there's this infield single that you keep on talking about, which was a much more difficult play because the pitcher, John Lester, will not move off the mound to go field the goddamn ball. Okay, my point was that I felt like, listen, I agreed, I agreed that I thought it was a quick hook. I, I don't think anyone is disputing that based on what, especially based on what Hendricks had done that postseason. I mean, he was coming off one of the better pitching performances I had ever seen in, in game six against um, against the Dodgers to close out that series. Yeah. Pitched relatively well in the World Series. I agree that the, the, the hook was quick. The only point I was making is that I felt like the move looked so much worse based on what ended up being really, really unlucky and shitty results. And you cannot tell me what ended up being a, a swinging bunt and then a terrible throw over to first base and a, a ball that wound up hitting the catcher in the head, getting a shitty bounce, the catcher not knowing where it is, a two-run scoring on a wild pitch, we're, we're just unlucky, shitty results. When, for the next, what, whatever it was, two, three innings, I think it was the two innings after that, Lester was cruising. And the, the far more egregious error was Lester cruising, the same thing happening to him, and then bringing Chapman in, <laughs> yes, having but... pitched a thousand, you know, pitch innings <laughs> the... in, in that series. That was, Agre- I, yeah, I will. Okay, we we only talked about this one. I this is why I said that I thought that Madden did everything 
really was doing his best to lose the game because, yes, he did have a quick hook again with Lester. Um, but that's not what we are arguing. What I am saying is that all of this stuff is somewhat foreseeable. You're like, oh, it was bad luck. Like, oh, this this infield. He can't field the ball. The pitcher will not go field the ball. Well, the ball came like, off the bat at 40 miles an hour. He made a good pitch. He executed. He that, that part's true. But the foreseeable part is, well, this guy can't field the ball like that. If he makes a shittier pitch, there's a chance he gets out of the inning. And then you have a catcher, again, a nearly 40-year-old catcher coming into a game ice cold, shockingly throwing a ball away. Like that, all of these things were a result of the stupid move that he did. And yes, baseball is all about bad luck and good luck and shit happens like this. But things so this like this. Is so unprepared to play the position, yet he can come in in the, in the next inning and, and homer off the guy who's the, 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 pinch hitter. the greatest reliever how, how in, often, in that postseason. I, I don't there, buy it. it is, it's extremely rare that, that you bring a catcher into a game in the middle of the game. And I don't even want to argue the catcher part. I want to argue the Lester part. I already made the catcher arguments before. A, a ice-cold catcher doesn't let a ball just bounce off his face. Like, all of these things. But would Willie have fielded? I don't know, but it doesn't look good when you just bring this guy in cold off the bench. He throws one ball away, and then he gets hit in the face with another ball. But the Lester thing was worse. You cannot bring a guy who is a starting pitcher who has never worked out of the pen, who can't throw to goddamn first base the inning into a game with got runners because on of, base. Because of what happened with the catcher, though. Lester did everything he could. He executed, and, and he continued to execute after well, he, that He inning. executed when the ball, when, he, when there's a slow, essentially a slow comebacker, and he does not move off the mound, forcing his old man catcher out of his crouch when, he's, when he is ice cold, and then he throws it away. All of these things are related, and all of these things make the move a stupid move. And it wasn't, this is not the benefit of hindsight. All of these things were dumb. The ball, if the ball just rolls, is hit harder and rolls to the second baseman and they end the inning, and he goes and pitches the next two innings the same way he did, no one gives a fuck about the move. And people are probably praising the move. Okay, but or if the ball is hit, instead of to the second baseman, it's hit directly at the mound. And now this guy who cannot throw the ball, he takes his glove off and throws it over the first, the same way he's done. No. It was dumb. You cannot talk about it. There was no bigger storyline over the course of Lester's career in Chicago that that ended up making being nothing than him not being able to throw to first base. The amount of times that you watched him and I you actually saw it like be having a crazy. real effect on the game was so minimal that there was no more overblown it's, thing. Everyone wanted to talk about it and no one did jack shit about it. It's crazy that I don't, I still don't understand why it was like out of respect. No one would lay down a bunt against the guy. It made no fucking sense that they did not run. Teams didn't run nonstop and they didn't lay down bunts. Non-stop. There were very few pitchers in baseball who I would have felt more confident with on the mound in a game seven at that point than John Lester. What about, what about the guy that would just, that had just struck out Carlos Santana possibly twice. who only needed to get one more goddamn out. It was, what I, about that guy? I agree. It was, too, I, I said, I agree. It was too said, quick of a hook. 
I, the, my point was that I think a lot of the negativity is result oriented and results that happen to be you can't you can't say that those weren't unlucky results with the way they played out. You can't say that. It's not you can't well, make they were happen. unlucky, but again, they put themselves what in a talking position about to be unlucky. Then that's not unlucky. To put yourself into a position to be unlucky is no longer unlucky. You can't you can't say that. No, it's a combination. It's a combination of factors. It's not pure unluckiness. Of course it is. <laughs> no, it's not. It, it, it's an infield single. No, it's not. Uh, oh God, I'm getting, I'm just like watching the, and I think the other reason why you didn't think it was as bad a move, quite honestly, in watching, rewatching it is how much it had been set up during the broadcast that Lester was probably going to come in. That it was like imminent the entire time, uh, that like that, that I didn't is at the game. I had no idea that this was like, Oh, he almost came in to start the fourth inning. He almost came in to start the fifth inning. Like they kept on that. He was like on, on ice um, the, for a whole uh, a half hour or an hour before he actually got brought in, uh, which I wasn't aware of, which I think what you said last week, Oh, it was all kind of predetermined. And I was like, well, what does that have to do with anything? But I think that part of it, made your view of it different from my view sitting in a seat at the ballpark uh at the time it was like this makes no fucking sense right and i, I again too quick of a hook but i do think in in madden's mind at some point you know the guy's warming up you got to throw him out there at some point you can't have him just throw him pitches in the bullpen forever if you're gonna use, yeah if you decided you are going to use him and you've already started warming him up he probably is going to bring him in to start the sixth if he doesn't, if uh, even maybe if even if Hendricks gets through that fifth. I don't know what he was going to do then. You're right. All right. We've finished the unfinished business. Uh, I cannot be swayed uh, that this was a horrible, stupid move, that all of this was somewhat predictable. And yes, they got unlucky with it too, but also you put yourself in a position to have bad things happen. You just when you, you make stupid moves. to the Chapman move. And it's like, this guy comes in on basically the same thing happens to Lester. If I remember correctly, I yeah, think and that one was with, with um, Napoli. That so wait, he comes in. Wait, do so you it, agree that one was stupid? Yeah, that one was stupid because he comes in. It's it's a hard hit double, a run scores, and it's a homer. It's like this guy clearly wasn't ready to be, couldn't pitch yeah. in this game. Yeah. Lester, on the other end, was so clearly able and effective in pitching in this game. Yeah, if he hadn't brought in, if he hadn't compounded the error by bringing in a cold catcher, he might have got out of it down 5 1. They're up 5 1. Yeah. Uh, ugh, God. Thank God they won that game. I I probably still would not be. I mean, I'm barely over and they won. <laughs> I think it's because of the trauma I experienced. The trauma I experienced of actually being at this game <laughs> like, still is painful, even though they won. I cannot even imagine what I would be doing now if they had lost that thing. And then obviously didn't go back and end up winning one. Uh, I think you know winning one kind of uh, heals all wounds. At least it certainly winning one makes me look at the whole uh, Moises Alou 
uh, situation in game six of the NLCS. I refuse to call it by the the more commonly referred to uh, name, the Moises Alou uh, issue in that game doesn't really bother me nearly as much as it did up to that season. Um, that was just, it was so painful. But then when they won, I was like, eh, all right. Now it's all, it's all part of the journey. Uh, and right, it, even makes, this, it makes the game what it was. Right? Yeah. Even this, um, even this Madden thing is part of the journey. Um, all right. So that is our, that is our segment, unfinished business. Uh, no, you got a, any ideas for like an unfinished business theme song? Uh, are you familiar with Bach, Bachman Turner Overdrives, Taking Care of Business? Yeah, Taking right. Care of Business. All right, right? All right. I thought yeah. that might be a, that, that might be a little too. I think far that, that's all I know time. of the song, but yeah, that's it. Yeah, all right, maybe that's it. All right, there we go. Uh, so let's get into then uh, the real topic at hand which is the Bulls and kind of the state of the franchise. No, how do you feel about this team right now? I think the consensus is they're kind of in like this purgatory sort of like stuck place where it's, you feel like you have Levine, you've got DeRozan for another year. The rot, like you don't have any picks in the draft. You're looking at potentially signing. Like it seems like the signing Vooch, it seems like the, they're, they're sort of stuck in in where they've been the last couple of years. And so I think there's a lot of just there's there's not a ton of interest with what this team can, you know, with with this team this offseason, just because, you know, except for the the 10 seconds where we thought they had potentially moved up to to number, you know, into the top four of the, the draft lottery, their maneuverability, at least, you know, if you're just looking at the season broadly um, and not trying to get a little more creative with the possibilities um the maneuverability they they don't have a ton of it so it's like not been a team that i've you know i've been i've been focused more on the bears cubs like the bulls i've sort of put on on the back burner because for a while i was like it seems like it's just going to be the you know the same old same old with them going into next year now that you know this new cba is in place and you're talking about maybe some you know guys who got bigger contracts in the past um you know, potentially being on the move and there's maybe some options to um, take on, you know, guys who, who got, you know, young guys who, you know, flash a lot of potential um, have, you know, maybe, maybe could turn into something that have sort of disappointed on their current teams. Um, and those teams need to get off those young guys because they don't want to get into this. And we could talk more about this, this um, second luxury tax and the penalties that come with it. So since I've sort of learned more about that, I've gotten a little more excited at the possibilities and, and sort of the things they can do in, in really trying to sh- you know shake things up if that's the route they want to go, which is, I think, what I'm kind of hoping for, because I don't want to see them run this back with the same with Vooch, DeRozan and, and Levine again. Yeah, and it's the... Obviously, this team has been um, very negatively impacted by uh, the ball injury. And look, we both liked Lonzo. Like he was kind of our both of our platonic ideal uh, for a another guard for them to add. Before like, they had signed him, we were texting back and forth: "Is this a guy that like, they could flip market?" This season, for? like the, the we're talking about trading. Marketing. Marketing. Uh, we had a text thread about training, trading marketing uh, for Lonzo Ball. All and would that be enough? And um, 
just talking about, I, I remember one of the things on that thread was that like neither of them can stay healthy. That both uh, Mark uh, Lowry and uh, Lonzo Ball had trouble staying in the lineup. And that was kind of, so it's, you know, it's not entirely unforeseen that this was going to happen with Lonzo Ball. Obviously it seems like much worse, but he had already had quite a few knee problems uh, as a young guy. Um, and so the fact that he is now in this position um, isn't a complete shock. It's not like it completely no, it's came not. out. I mean, of I'm, I'm pulling up his, his game split. I think the, I'm, and this is something maybe next segment on unfinished. No, let's see. Um, the most games he had played in his career was 63. So it's not this guy every season had it missed basically at least 20 games. And that was a yeah. 52 as a rookie, 47, 63, 55, 35. So, and he hasn't played since midseason through last year with, with the Bulls. So the, he obviously we knew that at his best, you're getting him for a little over half a season, most likely. <laughs> Just based on his track record, right? It is kind of the hope, you know, the hope that like, well, look at you can look at, and granted, it wasn't the same kind of thing, but you know, Steph Curry, I don't, I don't think it was quite that many years, but Steph Curry had a whole bunch of like ankle problems um, early in his career and couldn't stay in the lineup. Obviously, like MB had, you know, has had all kinds of uh, issues, didn't play at all for his first two years. Um, and but the other thing uh, was that they had been so desperate for a point guard since you know basically Derek Rose was no longer Derek Rose right like and they still are now but the thought was this team is has has not had a point guard for essentially six seven years this guy seems like he's the perfect you know if he could stay healthy the perfect guy to sort of center you know to, to lead the team and, and be that point that that traditional pass first point guard who was becoming a better shooter that you could sort of spot up um, that they'd been missing for for years and years. Yeah. So, and I before the, before that even, the, do you remember the guy that I really wanted them to get the um, the off season before? Maybe it was even two off seasons before they got Ball. Do you remember who who I no. was targeting? Tyus Jones. Right. Um. Who probably would who would have been a good fit, who does stay healthy, does not turn the ball over ever. It's probably the best, best backup, backup, best yeah. backup point guard uh yeah. in the league. I was I really want and he ended up signing that first contract with Memphis was for not very big money coming uh after he came over um originally was with the uh, Timberwolves. Uh, I really liked him. Um I think the other thing so how what is this team ceiling? even with Lonzo ball, I, that's the thing that, you know, we can look at that and be like, certainly they would be much better. And I guess if you look at what happened in the East just now, maybe they could have gotten, I struggled to think that they could have beaten Milwaukee, but I wouldn't have thought that Miami. Yeah, but could they had a a season like, like the Knicks just had? Absolutely. Right. Like win a playoff series. It was just, until you have a guy that's going to be one of these generational, you know, top seven guys in the league, I'm fine if that's what you want to do. Like, I know a lot of people are just, you know, let's tank, tank, tank until you can get one of those guys. And I, I absolutely see that. But if you want to go the other way and say, hey, we're, you know, look what Miami's doing now, right? Like, we're just going to try and stay competitive on the off chance that potentially we get a couple breaks and we can, you know, 
we win a round or two, and then who knows how things you know swing out, right? Like Levine and it you know catches fire and is one of the better players in the game for a while. DeRose, like you just you never know how these things shake out. And so I think with a healthy ball, at the very least, they would have been in that mix of the top six teams in in the East and playing very fun competitive basketball. Yeah, and I think that um, the thing that's kind of funny is this kind of era of Bulls basketball uh, began with them jettisoning the same guy who just led the heat to the finals as an eight seed. Right. Uh, So I I think there's some uh, symmetry is the right word, but it is kind of interesting that maybe they had that top seven guy uh, and look, kicked around from the Timberwolves and then to Philadelphia, you got to think. I mean, Philadelphia choosing yeah. Tobias Harris, Ben Simmons, and Tobias Harris over Jimmy Butler. It's hard. It's hard not to imagine that at this point that Embiid and Butler would have won one. Yeah, although uh, just he, Jimmy Butler, all the credit in the world. Anyone who says that they saw this out of the guy, I think is lying. Right? Like you, you figured that he was he was sort of like a top. 20 guy but to be the number one team on a uh, to be the number one option on a guy that that has now been to two finals is not something that i think anyone saw to be uh, i think uh, it seems like pat riley did uh no i don't want to not necessarily in the business of getting giving pat riley credit but they really went after him hard and basically sold him that that's who they believed yeah, because he was. they like had it, it's still a mystery how they even got the guy i think they traded like josh richard like somehow philly facilitated it where my like the fact yeah. that they were even able to get the guy is such a is so bizarre and so weird that i don't think he, he necessarily saw this as much he's like oh my god we can get jimmy butler and though we we shouldn't have the cap space and all i have to get rid of is josh richardson yeah let's do that okay so then i, I yeah I, anyway that's just maybe more of a tangent than i that i intended i just thought it was kind of interesting that yeah maybe you know we, they didn't really realize what they had um or maybe there were you know just too many they didn't like the personality things and like you said i don't think anyone in chicago when they traded him thought oh we're trading a guy that could carry two teams or could twice carry a team to the to the uh, NBA Finals. I don't think anyone or not many people thought that. I did think the return at the time was a little light. Uh, the I fact that they did, nowadays you would never have to give up your first round. That pick. was that. And if you remember, that was my main objection was that they had to throw in that number sixteen pick was absurd uh, in that deal. But anyway, um, it does bring me though to kind of my first issue with uh ak if we're talking about the way this team has been run which was the need to go out and get lonzo ball was entirely because he drafted patrick williams over halliburton in 20 was that 2020 already what year was that yeah that was 2020 that was a COVID draft uh in 2020 um and again this certainly is not the benefit of hindsight almost paying attention thought that Halliburton was the best player left at that point at least everyone who wasn't an NBA GM because he somehow fell like eight more spots yeah uh um 
and I this is one that Noah and I have regularly disagreed on is how good Patrick Williams is, but it cannot be disputed that he is not as good as Tyrese Halliburton. It can't be disputed. And part of what a lot of people said when they made the Vooch trade is this team and fair or unfair to a guy picked fourth overall is this team is going to hinge a lot on how this guy develops. And if you can sort of hit, doesn't even have to be a home run, but if he could be, you know, if he could have been as good as Maxi or as good as Desmond, ba- like any one of those guys who has become, you know, like a, a, not necessarily an all-star, but even like a, just a, a tier, a, like a, a, a small tier below that. Yeah. Solid start. The, right. Above us. Right. The, the ceiling for this team all of a sudden becomes very, very different. And so he, he did put his chips when he made that Vooch trade, he put his chips in the table, not only on Nikola Vucevic, but on Patrick Williams. And it seems like he's gone. And it doesn't seem like it with Vooch. He's zero for one with Patrick Williams. I still do have some hope and I'm, I'm not totally out on the guy because I do like the way he plays defense. He's only, I think 21 or 22 years old going into next season. I th- I think that we, you know, if we learned anything from like Larry marketing that the, there is potential for the guy who, Thought he was, you know, came into a, a team that had um, just, you know, uh, Zach Levine as the star. To now, you're you're trying to come into the NBA with DeRozan, Vucevic, and Levine, and you're trying to navigate that. I still do have some hope for for his development and him eventually. And I think it probably this is the year that'll make or break it. But him um, becoming that solid NBA guy, but. He, the fact that he was not able to live up to that over the course of, you know, Vooch's two and a half years in Chicago is a huge reason why that trade, which is already a disaster, is even more so. Yeah. And I think um, with the the Vooch trade that you're right, it, it, it was like, right, we're giving up a lot of draft capital. So we really kind of, the team that we have has to be good enough or at least like the team we have plus what we can do in this next off season when they got DeRozan and, and uh, ball oh, um, the Vooch trade to me at the time. And look, like I kind of only knew Vooch by the stats. Like, I don't know. I don't even know. I honestly don't know if I'd ever even seen him play uh, before that. And I was like, well, they're, he's an all-star, but they're like, this team is terrible. So what does that mean uh, that he's an all-star? But I will say on the other side of it, that I was certainly swayed by the national media. The national media loved the trade at the time. I didn't like that. They were giving up two first round picks. I was though, at that point kind of done with Carter uh, in for a lot of the same reasons why I don't like <laughs> Patrick Williams actually, which, which is, I didn't think he was ever going to be aggressive enough to be a good player. He just seemed way too passive. Um, and that's kind of where I am with Patrick Williams too. So to your point, um, the other thing about Wendell Carter, which maybe Williams has had some issues with, but seems to have gotten past is Carter couldn't stay on the court either. He was always, and he, even with Orlando, I think he's kind of done the same thing where it's like, Every year he's missing 15, 20, 25 games. Um, that's not my favorite thing for a young player uh, to have, certainly. So I was ready for them to move on 
from Carter and quite honestly, marketing. Um, I just thought that that was an, it was an awful lot to give up. And now we know that it was uh, Franz. I almost said Moritz, but that's his brother. Uh, Wagner. And um, the number, was it 11? Yeah. In this year's draft. In this year's draft, who, who we don't know. Um, and look, who knows who they would have taken when they have taken Wagner, but they, but just having those trade chips even uh, would have been nice. Although I guess this pick probably would have gone anyway in the DeRozan trade. Right. If it hadn't already been. Uh, yeah. I mean, who knows what they end up deciding to do if they don't have Vucevic, who knows if, you know, DeRozan is interested in coming with, you know, that piece not already in place, but it just gets to a separate issue, which is a lot of people. And, you know, we texted at the time saying this just, it seems like a lot because it, it's, it's Nikola Vucevic. He is a nice player. He's been a nice, right? like he's going to give you his, his 17 and 10. He's going to try and stretch the floor somewhat. He can cause, you know, some sort of a mismatch. He's playing, you know, 80 games a season, but it, do you want to give up? that kind of capital for a guy who is not going to guarantee you anything, right? Maybe guarantees you a, you know, a playoff win at the time is sort of the thought, but it just philosophically, it it doesn't make a whole lot of sense in, in today's, you know, game to, to put your chips to the table um, for a guy of that status. And that was the bigger issue with the trade. And it's, it's sort of come to to fruition when you've looked at the guy, there's always going to be a disgruntled superstar. And those are, you know, if, if you have that kind of ammunition, those are the guys that you want to target every single year, whether it's going to be Harden, whether it's Durant, whether it's Mitchell, every Trey Young, maybe this offseason, there's always going to be those guys that become available. And those are the guys you really want to target those, you know, multiple time all stars. And it seemed like AK came in, wanted to sort of mold this team in, in, you know, wanted to to mold this team how he you know get rid of all the the Garpax players sort of start the new regime as quickly as possible and I think he took a, a swing on a player that was a step below that sort of um, star status that um, where, where it makes sense to you know to mortgage. give up that kind of capital exactly yeah yeah and then you know the other move like that. You know, we, we already kind of talked about Lonzo Ball signing, which we liked, but obviously had some risk. Um, the DeRozan move certainly worked out way better than I think anyone. That's the one that got crushed I mean, the most. I, I think that he, uh, AK was probably the only one who thought that this is what, um, it could end up being now granted it hasn't resulted in any sort of uh on court success uh but DeRozan's certainly been a really good player uh for now two years when this certainly second or third like, team all NBA last year yeah certainly seemed like he was on the downside and but it so it certainly worked out I will still say they overpaid that no one was get, no one else was giving him that kind of dollars and if they were they weren't going to give up a first round pick for the right to do it um and it seemed like and you know people creamed it was the exact opposite 
of the Vooch trade. I mean, he, he, I don't think anybody nationally liked the move. And you can say, well, look, I mean, in a vacuum, DeRozan has been worth every dollar of the contract and giving up the pick. But this is not in a vacuum. This, it comes down to, was that necessary to do in the moment? I know there was some talk that uh, LeBron was trying to get him to the Lakers, maybe. Yeah, the Clippers were involved. The I Clippers mean, his hometown were, is but I don't think any of them had the money. No, it would have been a mid-level exception. that he Right. So been. if they were going to, for a team that was, it, once they were willing to pay him that money, giving up the pick was just insane. Uh and I still don't really understand why that happened. We'll see. I know that that pick is pretty protected. Noah, can you look it up while I'm talking? Yeah, let's see. I'm pretty sure that pick does the Bulls Portland pick does, where eventually if it doesn't convey, it just becomes a second rounder, which I think is the biggest bullshit. I don't know how GMs are agreeing to this. This is also the thing I don't like about that pick they own from Portland, that Eventually, that Portland pick, just because if it keeps on being lottery protected, which unless the Trailblazers do something, uh, it might be, it eventually just becomes a second round pick. Whereas it used to always be that those protections would get lower and lower each year. It was like, okay, year one, it's fully lottery protected. Then the next year, it's top 12 protected. The next year, it's top 10, top eight, top five. So that eventually the pick will convey as a high pick. It's supposed to just becoming a second rounder. Like after you've waited five years for it, this doesn't make any sense. They get a two second rounders in that trade too. Is that what I'm seeing? Yeah. They have like no second round picks for like the next decade. They seriously well, I think they have like a 2029 second rounder or something crazy like that. Those will send, send the Spurs a 2022 second round pick. Uh, their own. His 2025 second round pick, and then trying to find the first round pick what the what the protections are on it. But well, it had the earliest it could be is 2025 because they had sent out the two yeah. to right, which means that they still can't trade a first round pick now until 27, right? Yeah, Jesus, there's that's the problem is like they're so severely hamstrung, and then of course the one year they get to keep their pick is the year that they were. Yeah. Somewhat competitive and made the playoffs. They were the best. Yeah. They were the best. So they were picking whatever 18th or whatever the hell Terry was 1920. I don't remember what it was anymore. Yeah. Which sort of brings us to where they are now and sort of what the potential options they have and sort of where you want to see them going. Because as I pointed out with this new CBA that, um, is going to be your collective bargaining agreement that's that's going to be put in place. One of the th- the uh, the new rules is this like second um, tax threshold that if you yeah. go over, there's pretty heavy penalties, um, and those penalties are for teams that are um, seventeen and a half million over the luxury tax, which that that's that set. The luxury tax that seventy and a half million is that over that second um apron marks yeah marks that second apron. Um you can no longer um you don't have a, a mid level exception. Um you're it's a ban on including cash as part of trades, the inability to accept more salary in a trade than um the team sends out. 
a team in the second apron will also be unable to aggregate salary in trades and cannot trade its first round pick seven years in the future or sign players in the buyout market. So basically any team that wants to go seven over 17 and a half million over the luxury tax is, is gotta be a thousand percent sure that in doing that, the team they're putting together is, is going to win a championship, which means that a lot of these, so like right now the Clippers and Warriors are both, $40 $40 million over the luxury tax. And so a guy like Jordan Poole, who is his big contracts about to you know, set in, it seems like the Warriors may just have to give him up for nothing or, you know, uh, a, a couple second round picks or a future first. So a lot of those guys now like Poole, you know, the Suns I know are close. Um, or I think they might even be over a guy like Aiden might have to come off their books. A lot of these guys who, you know, the thought was, let's sign them. You know, they they kind of deserve these contracts, but we at least don't want to lose the you know the young asset, and we can always flip it. Um, now these teams have to really move quickly to to get these these guys off the books, unless they're totally sure that they can win a title with with the pieces they have in place. So it means that this offseason become, in my opinion, a lot more interesting if the Bulls do want to take a flyer on any any one of these kinds of guys, and I think that potentially they they honestly should. Well, like who, and then what are you giving up to facilitate this trade? Because they can't trade. Do you do a like a DeRozan, a DeRozan for Aiton, something like that, where you, you know, DeRozan's on the last year of his deal. You take on Aiton, and you sort of hope that he can sort of reach his potential in Chicago, and you don't have to worry about you know resigning Vooch, something like that, right? Let's buy low on this on this asset that they have to get rid of. And maybe you don't even, you, you got to send you some, you know, because you don't want to have to go over, but you got to send something out. Maybe you put the, the, a bunch of contracts together and, and figure it out and it doesn't end up being DeRozan. But trying to buy low on, on a guy like Aiden, where there's clearly talent there. Do you hope that, you know, he's, he was a number one pick, whatever, 2018 draft. So he's 26 now, 20, 25. Like he's still a, a 20, maybe younger than that, 23. Yeah, I don't even think he's that old. Yeah. Like you, you got to hope that, that he he comes together and you're sort of buying low on on him and getting off DeRozan, who's only got a year left and is already you know in his mid thirties, right? Yeah, uh, he's twenty four. He will be twenty five in July. Because you're not going anywhere anyways, and so you make that move. You don't worry about resigning Vooch, and you hope that you know you can sort of he he can have a marketing type year, something you know you just you hope. You're trying to change things up, knowing that you're not going anywhere, anyways. So you might as well sort of buy in on one of these guys. Now, what is it? But I, like, I don't know if that makes any sense for the Suns. I guess I don't know what their cap situation is with Booker. I don't even know what he makes, but he has to be pretty high up there, given uh, his stats. Obviously, Durant makes a ton. Durant's forty-four I, million. Booker's thirty-four million. I don't know what Chris Paul. Chris Paul's free agent. Twenty-eight. He, no, he's still got another. He still got years left on that thing, right? I think it's one year. Okay. He's uh, so yeah, I guess I don't know. I feel like I have very little hope uh, with this team, and I agree with part of what you said before, which is, do you do a whole teardown and hope you you know the kind of the Sam Hinky process uh, stuff. Uh, hope that you hit on. Um, I like what the what actually 
DeMar DeRozan's former team did, um, which was they were just kind of on the fringes of the playoffs. Which picture. former team? Are you talking Spurs or no, the, Toronto? How he ended up going to the Spurs. Okay, Toronto, yeah. Yeah, they, like they were kind of on, they were like, a, you know, a lower seat, lower playoff seed kind of year after year with uh, this core that they had with the kind of DeRozan and Lowry. Um, and then, you know, people thought they should just tear it down. What's the point of winning 45, 50 games. But then when Kawhi Leonard became available, they had the assets to go get him Cause they, people, you know, they, they wanted DeRozan back. Masai Ujiri is a really, really confident yeah, and then, and then they were able, and then they had the team they could put around Kawhi Leonard that it was like they weren't gutting the team in order to go get him. And when they got him, they could go out and win a title. So in my opinion, that trade is now like a, a dinosaur kind of trade. And they kind of got lucky that the Spurs were sort of not wanting to just hit the total reset because nowadays you never see that sort of, We'll give you one first round pick. You'll take back to Rosen, who's the lesser suit. Like it's now, it's always you're starting at like four first round picks to get a guy like Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, but I, but I have a feeling that the way so many of these things are working out, Noah, that that also might go the way of that. I mean, like, look, the Rudy Gobert trade was the most insane thing I've ever seen. Like, I could not. I thought that's such an outlier. You got to just throw that out. But even, but even like the Duran one isn't going to look so good. Like even, which, if you look at who they gave up, and where all of those picks might end up being, uh, that's not going to look so good. I mean, that one is more defensible, just in the sense that you're saying we probably are putting together two of the top eleven guys in the league, and we're we'll see what we can do. Right. I, all I'm saying is that. That one seemed kind of like, certainly, if there was a slam dunk, it would be that one. And I don't think that history is going to look kindly upon that one either. And so if Gobert is on one end of the spectrum and the Durant deal is on the other, and they both look differing degrees of bad, then I think teams are going to get a little smarter about this idea of giving up four fucking first-round picks. Um. And we'll see, because you know, speaking of the you know, the Spurs got uh got Vic, um, but they also have a boatload of picks coming from the Murray trade, uh coming back from the Hawks. And the Hawks might be in a position where they're just trying to reclaim those picks now by m- moving on from Trey Young so they can kind of get back to zero. We'll see what happens there. But just increasingly, um you're right that this kind of idea that you're going to take back a even older, uh, lesser star for your superstar probably isn't going to happen. I also don't think we're going to see a lot of this many picks going in trades either. Right. And so I guess the question now is, do you, where, where do you go? If, if you're, if you're trying to just stay relevant enough where you can sort of make that upgrade move, because I know how we're, whatever we are, 40 minutes into this podcast and haven't even really mentioned Zach Levine. Um, to me, he is a guy that I've, I wanted them to move off of this year. I've sort of been pushing that bandwagon because my fear with him is 
he's he's an he's an injury away from being one of these albatross contracts and he he's so he's he's so he's very reliant on on his explosiveness and if that goes and he can't you know sort of be the the downhill kind of attacking you know force that when you watch him on the right night you're like jesus christ is this guy you know a, a an all NBA, you know, perennial all NBA guy, right? You watch him against Toronto in that second half, and you're like, holy fuck, this guy's one guy, you know, has to be one of the best 15 guys. You watch him on the second night of a back to back on a night where he's sort of banged up in that Miami game, and you, you just, there, he doesn't seem to consistently have that explosiveness that's necessary um, for him to be in that discussion of one of these, you know, premier guys. And so I've been pushing that if a team like New York, wants to, you know, go, you know, push chips into the middle of the table. They didn't do it with Mitchell. They want to, you know, push, you know, throw some first round picks at us for, for Levine. If Portland, um, if there's something with maybe Simons and in, in a future pick so that they, they can put something around Lillard. If they are talking, maybe moving the number three pick this year, I've been of the mindset Let's try and get off this guy before that contract is like a Westbrook kind of contract where you're giving up assets just to get off of it. When, when he, you know, and you listen, you never know with injuries, but it just, it seems like he's already had his, his big one. He sort of was, was run down when they made that playoff run against, against Milwaukee and was really a shell of himself to finish that season. He's been up and, you know, up and down and the highs are really high. And so maybe you are able to get a team that that wants to sort of bet on that um, and is in, in more of a position to do so or has more of a willingness to want to do so, like if Portland wanted to keep Lillard and let's let's just get, you know, I don't know if you're necessarily selling high for him, but the, I do think there's enough of a market where you can sort of reset with, you can be put in a, a solid position to reset by, by moving off. Yeah. Um, I think they should completely tear down at this point because they don't have uh, a way to kind of get reinforcements through the draft. Um, This core, especially without ball has kind of peaked out. Uh, You are, you have one more year of DeRozan. And I think that uh, maybe you look to move him at the deadline uh, where there'll probably be a few less players of his caliber available. Um, and do a some kind of sign and trade with Vooch and get Caruso also, by the way, is a guy that I think they can get a ton of. That's a guy who's who's making nine million dollars next year and can it is like as valuable for a contending team at that contract and what he does as a first team all NBA guy that's gonna knock down some shots, bring energy out. Yeah. Like to me, that guy might even be worth a first round pick on on like a contending team. Yeah, I think he probably would be. Um Certainly a team like the team they got him from. Right, exactly. Uh, and, I, yeah, I wanted uh, in the this past offseason, I thought they should be looking at signs, uh, a sign and trade involving Levine because I think that there's a chance that uh, Kobe White could give you a lot of what Levine gives you and actually maybe – not be a negative on the other side of the court, which I think is the biggest problem with this core 
is none of them can really defend. And I know somehow their defense was actually very highly rated this year. So I, I don't know if maybe we need to look at what Vooch does as an anchor um, of a defense. Uh, and certainly Caruso, you just mentioned, had a lot to do with how good their defense was. And I know that the lineup with Beverly was like a pretty good, uh, had a pretty good net rating. I'm just not sold that this team as constructed with the other assets they have at their disposal is going anywhere. So uh, going back to white restricted free agent, this off season, see a, a $15 million a year guy. Like what's yeah, the, I have no white. If you're the thing that you mentioned, um, and maybe it was even before we started recording about like this, uh, the new CBA really killing the middle class uh, might have an impact on him or obviously because that, that is what he is. Um, I would think just looking at Kobe, I think that he's a, he is probably a great third guard. Maybe he's a little stretched as a starter on a good team. Um, but also he's another guy who's what, 23 i know he's younger than than uh uh Sunmu. uh he's younger than io so um also restricted free agent also a restricted free agent uh i would if we had to choose between those guys i would choose kobe white and I yeah know and I, I, I agree it is going to be really interesting just to see like it is hard kind of it is hard to kind of project right now what that that middle class of player is going to look like based on the fact that if you're going to go over this amount, you have to be sure that you're, the team you've constructed is going to win a championship. And so it seems like the majority of the money is going to be spent on two stars and then just trying to fill out the, the rest of the roster with, you know, guys who are making anywhere f- from a couple million dollars as rookies to like 10 million, right? 10 million dollars. Like it's hard to project out what that third, fourth, fifth guy in your team that for a while is making 15 20 million dollars what they're going to be making um because of of the restrictions that that um that second apron is going to put on on teams so i guess my is at this point uh tear it down now i guess the wild card in this situation is if suddenly uh patrick williams becomes a even a 20 point per game score uh, would would certainly change the ceiling of this team. But you still have a problem uh, of no real lead guard. Like, who is this team's lead guard and how do you – which is why, again, I'm like, all right, you can maybe throw between Caruso, uh, Desumu, and, uh, and Kobe that you probably have a decent enough kind of – guard rotation if you have an actual lead guard can you use Levine to kind of fill in some of these holes elsewhere Uh, I don't know what the answer is but I think for me that ship is probably sailed because I just don't think that Patrick Williams is going to put it together Um, I've I've said this to you years ago when you're like he shows flashes and I said you know showed flashes Tyrus Thomas and I know they're not anywhere near the same sort of player, 
but it can be very tempting when you're looking at young players to see them do these things and see these glimpses and think, well, they just have to keep on doing that on a regular basis. But so many of these guys never get there to a point where they can. And Absolutely. The, to me, the, the, the difficult thing with Williams is that you would like, you know, this was a guy who's coming in as a rookie where it was Zach Ovine and then a whole lot of you know, Colby White and a whole lot of, you know, nothing else. And so this guy who's going to get, you know, 10 shots as a rookie, maybe 15 shots next year, 20, like you sort of projected out that he was going to have a significant role. All of a sudden, half halfway through his rookie year, Vooch is there. He gets, I think he gets hurt either his first or second year. That hurts. DeRozan yeah, comes in. Like you're, you're coming in now where all of a sudden you're in a situation. You miss most of your second year. Um, as a rookie, you had Levine and then halfway through you had Vooch. You, you now have, have DeRozan and Ball. Like just trying to fit in. Like he's had sort of one, two, you know, two years where this team has been what it is and he's been healthy. Um, and, and trying to sort of find his way. So I, the, the reason I'm relying on those flashes is because that's sort of all you, you have to rely on when he's trying to sort of see it doesn't it on this team where you have those guys, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for, for Williams to be shooting the ball 20 times a game and, and sort of finding out what he is as, as a number one or two option, because it's, it's not as efficient as having Levina DeRozan or, or Vooch if, if you're trying to compete. And so I would like to see if maybe you, you move off of Vucevic, you trade DeRozan, and all of a sudden Williams is a second or third guy. What what does that look like? Because yeah. we're seeing it with with Carter in in Orlando, where all of a sudden that guy is more valuable than Vucevic. You, you wouldn't be able to do a deal one for one with those two. You're seeing it with with yeah. Markinen in in Utah, right? So I just I it, I I just don't want Williams to to be off this team where we never really got a sense of. When this guy is is actually a featured part of of the team, what does he look like? Yeah, well, I think to, for me, no. And that, if I were to do a teardown, obviously he would be a guy that I would keep. With all those signings, and you know, last year he was mostly hurt. Kind of his unofficial second year, even though it was year three. Um, given all that, that gave him the ability to carve out a role as a defensive stopper. Uh, somebody who can go and get you rebounds. The guy averaged four rebounds a game in 28 minutes. This is a guy that's like your nominal power forward. Has, he just has way too many games where he has like no rebounds, no assists. Um, even the games where he is scoring, he's just not doing a lot of the other things in the box score. And that's exactly what they needed the last few years. You're right. They don't need him to score 20 points a game. It would be nicer though, if he could regularly pull down eight or nine rebounds a game, get a couple steals and a couple blocks. Uh, he just doesn't seem like he has that sort of game. I think right now, the best part of his game is his three point shoot. And I do think he is a plus defender. Do you have uh, access to some net rating kind of stuff uh, on his defense? Cause I am curious the, the eye test looks pretty good. And obviously uh, he's got the body and the athleticism to defend pretty much one through five. I would say, unless you have like a, a, a really big uh, five. Um, but he is a career 41% three point shooter, which if you were doing some of these uh, 
little things could make him into a very valuable player. Um, I just don't see the mentality uh, needed to get from where he is to where we would want him to be. All right. So I think sort of to, to summarize to me, the easiest move to make is Caruso who well, that's an, an easy way to, to probably get involved in this draft is makes a ton of sense out of contenders is way more valuable as a contender. Second is probably not resigning Vucevic. Although I know that the, it came out today that they they just started negotiating extension with him. And then where it gets interesting is is DeRozan and Levine and what they do. And I think we're both in agreement that they should probably look to trade to trade both of them. Yeah. All right. All right. There go the Bulls. Yeah, this is a grim. Yeah, it's well, it, guess, but... it is tough. It's just because they're they're it, it's not like there's some obvious option for them where they can just sort of put a ton of picks in the table and and take on like Willard if he's disgruntled. They don't really have a ton of exciting young talent. We'll see what they do with with White. Obviously, you know it's like they don't have a pick in this year's draft, or even let alone a second round pick. There's just not a whole lot going on, and I think they're gonna have to get really really creative if if they do want to sort of make any sort of real real changes rather than, than running it back. And my guess is that's probably what they're going to end up doing, unfortunately. Yeah. And I think the one thing that's probably the most disappointing is now three soon to be uh, season four of the AK era. And there is no more hope for this team than there was during the Garpax era. Yeah, because he pigeonholed himself into into this specific team, and maybe he was hoping Levine was sort of going to be that that superstar. And when you like we said, when you watch him on the right night, it looks like he can be that, but it just he does not have the consistency to do that. And so I guess they were just sort of placing a lot of bets on on guys that you know were, were long shots, unfortunately. And I agree that. It, it was sort of similar, like we were talking about polls, where we wanted to praise this guy prematurely. AK was getting a ton of praise, you know, after that. I, I'm not listening. They were the one seed in the East, um, you know, two years ago at the halfway point. So it wasn't surprising, but it was like we we were so quick to to crown these guys before we actually see the the full um, the full picture. And yet again, it seems like this team, like you're saying, is is no different than they were. Uh, a few years ago, unfortunately. Yeah. All right. Well, on that very happy note, <laughs> thank you uh, for listening to this episode of the Stark and Cope Chicago Sports Show. Join us again next week when our topic will be TBD. Cubs, maybe back to the Cubs. Maybe we'll start talking about the minor leaguers uh, with this team. Five and a half, only five and a half games out, I think, in the division, but um, not looking so good. Uh, thank you, everybody.